0: All right, well, if you are a member of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, welcome. I miss you and I pray you are well. I'm grateful just to see uh, the way the Lord is working in our church, even as we're not able to, to really be the church in person. He's, able, he's making us able to be the church together online or you know, just uh, making masks for each other or um, providing meals for each other when shopping for each other. I know my family has benefited from that, and so I'm very grateful. If you're not a regular attender or a member at Loudon Valley and you're just tuning in on this because you see it on your uh, on your feed there, welcome. Uh, so good to have you, and uh, we would love, even though we can't shake your hand and give you a donut, and a cup of coffee, and, and talk together, we would love to just get to know you online and then hopefully catch up Uh, once we're able to meet again. So please use the the message function on Facebook or you can email me or the church. You'll find that info on our website at loudonvalley.org. But what a delight to have you. We are back this week after a brief one-week hiatus for Resurrection Sunday. We are back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We are considering today Uh, Our 20th study in this gospel, and there's dozens more to come, most likely. I'm planning on a break for the summer, thinking maybe about the book of Proverbs. Uh, So, if you have thoughts about that, let me know. But for now, we're back in Luke. Luke, if you might remember, uh, was a doctor in the first century in Palestine who carefully gathered and researched and put together a history about Jesus here in his gospel. And then a history of the early church, which you can read about in the fifth book of the New Testament called the Book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And the purpose for Luke's writing is clear. Uh, He tells his reader, Theophilus, and by extension, you and me, because we're reading it today, uh, that he has written these things so that we might have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. And so that's what Luke says in the very opening verses in this longest book. Uh, his longest gospel, and and so our prayer is that that would be true of us as well. That as we study Luke, uh, we would uh, have just growing, increasing certainty about what we believe and what we've been taught about Jesus Christ. So again, this is our 20th study. Uh, We've seen John the Baptist born. We've seen him preparing the way for Jesus. We've seen the birth of Christ, his baptism, his temptation, the beginning of his ministry. And this morning, as we come to Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus beginning a sermon uh, that will continue all the way through the end of the chapter. Uh, In this sermon, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples on how they are to live as those who follow after him. And he begins this sermon in Luke 6, verses 20 through 26, with four and four, four blessings and four woes. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Luke 6, 20 through 26. If you have your Bible, follow along as I read for us. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. Luke writes, And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets so jesus begins with these four blessings what are commonly referred to as the beatitudes uh, that might seem familiar to you if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, where these Beatitudes func- uh, kind of function more, uh, more towards the, the front of uh, your attention as you read the Gospel of Matthew. So in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7, uh, we see these Beatitudes and others listed as well. Um, and so there are similarities between this sermon, which is often called the Sermon on the Plain, and Matthew five through seven, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. There's so many similarities that some think Luke is recording this very same occasion and sermon as Matthew, just cutting it down a little bit. Uh, Others think, well, Jesus for sure preached the same things more than once, right? And so there's no reason to believe that these aren't just two separate sermons. Uh, there's good points on both sides. In the long run, for our purposes today, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what, is, what does matter is that Luke is, is recording this sermon by Jesus as a representation of Jesus' teaching. Specifically, how he is teaching his disciples to live as the followers of Christ. And so as we uh, dig into this text this morning, I want to focus on two things from this text that I think uh, are, are shown here to characterize a follower of Christ. Uh, and I pray that as we consider these two things, we would be encouraged and even energized uh, in, our, in our love for Jesus. So, two things. I hope that these help to kind of summarize what I think Jesus is saying in these seven verses. The first thing is that Jesus' followers are needy, not self-sufficient. Jesus's followers are needy, not self-sufficient. And the second thing will be Jesus' followers rejoice in persecution, not popularity. Jesus' followers rejoice in persecution, not popularity. So first, Jesus' followers are needy, not self-sufficient. Look with me again at verse 20. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said... And then we'll get to the what he says in a bit. But first, let's see who he's talking to. The main hearers of this sermon... Are Jesus' disciples. However, if you look back to verse 17 that we saw two weeks ago, it shows that there are others there as well. Uh, other, like a, a broader range than just the twelve disciples, and, and crowds as well. And they're all presumably hearing Jesus' sermon. And so let's look at how Jesus begins. He says, second half of verse 20 Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. God. Jesus uses that word blessed. That's a word many in our culture use. It's a hashtag, right? But what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus declares his disciples blessed? It means they are shown the favor of the Lord. And so as Jesus' disciples in 2020, as his followers, let's let's listen up. Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to be a blessed follower of God. Our ears should perk up and hear what Jesus should have to say. And So what does he say his followers should look like? He begins by saying they will be poor. Now, That doesn't mean anyone who is financially destitute will be automatically ushered into God's eternal blessing. Uh, We do not twist God's arm. And, and demand that he bless us merely because we lack resources? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus' point is that those who are poor usually have less hardship acknowledging their need of help. Right? Generally speaking, poor people understand their need better than rich people do. And it's that sort of dependence and recognition of weakness and need that is at the root of what Jesus is saying about his disciples. You, you think of, of, of the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 70 when he says, I be, But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Dependence is must characterize the person who would follow after Jesus. See, church, Jesus is the Savior of those who need saving. Jesus will not be good news if you don't think you need good news. He's good news for those who are honest about their sin and their need. It's just like what he said in chapter 5 when he said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. If you would come after Christ, if you would receive God's favor in Jesus, you must recognize your need for him. But it's not just the poverty, the, this sort of material poverty that reveals a deeper spiritual poverty, which is the root of what Jesus is getting at. It's not just the poverty that makes the person blessed. What does Jesus say? He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for, because... This is the reason yours is the kingdom of God. He's saying, do you know why you're blessed, needy people? Because I will give you the kingdom of God. Do you see what your future holds? You know, there, there are places around the world where so-called Christianity has spread like wildfire. Because preachers declare that following Jesus will mean reaping incredible financial blessings in the here and now. This is often called the so-called prosperity gospel. And church, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus nowhere in this book promises financial riches to every follower of his, this side of heaven. That's simply not what he promises. It's actually something far better that he promises. He promises reward that's eternal, riches that are eternal not fleeting and temporary. For those who would follow Jesus, we must be poor in spirit, needy and humble, because one day we will gain the kingdom of unending joys. If you look there at the contrast then in verse 24, just skip down a a few verses, it's pretty striking, right? Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Again, let's be careful. Jesus is not condemning wealth in and of itself, but he is making a point about the dangers of wealth and the wealthy heart. He's making a point about the tendency of our heart when we gain riches, and that is a tendency to kind of retreat and bend in on ourselves, becoming proud and arrogant, actually, the polar opposite of need. And weakness. See, the person who is rich and satisfied in his own prosperity will not receive blessing, but woe, misery. Maybe not misery here, maybe not misery now, but when the kingdom of God comes, that person will find themselves on the outside looking in because they never recognized their need, but instead constantly took refuge in the fact that They had no need at all. For these, Jesus is saying they should enjoy their life now because this is the happiest they'll ever be. Jesus says, for them, they have received their consolation. And so their reward is not future, but present and fading fast. The next beatitude, the next blessing, back in verse 21 continues this same theme. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, it's obvious. Being hungry doesn't automatically merit God's blessing on you, God's favor for you. No, Jesus is saying that for those who are poor, who are needy, their hunger will be satisfied. For now, they might be in want. But oh, if they saw their future, wow, wow, would they rejoice. Because now they might be in want, but then, then they will be fully satisfied. There's this emphasis in these verses. Did you see it? There's this emphasis on this word now and then shall or shall be. There's this, there's this emphasis on the now and the, the then, right? Christians are those who believe in delayed gratification. Oh, we have so many blessings now, don't get me wrong. We have so much to be grateful for. In fact, in Ephesians 1, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, we see that every blessing is ours in Christ right now. However, however, we do wrestle with this tension that many have called the already and not yet tension. See, we are we are already rich in Christ, in his amazing wealth in heaven. But we're not, we're not there yet. Uh, we, we still suffer. Oh, we're already satisfied in Christ. But we're not yet there. We're not glorified with him. See, the Christian who follows after Jesus has his eyes not on finding ultimate joy here and now, but in the future, when Jesus will come and reign, when Jesus will set up a new heavens and a new earth, when Jesus will make all wrongs right. This doesn't mean the Christian cannot enjoy earthly blessings. In fact, the the Christian can enjoy them completely and rightly. Because the Christian enjoys earthly blessings as sort of appetizers, not meant to fully satisfy us, but instead to prepare our palate, (laughs) to prepare us for a feast, to pique our cravings for heaven, for a full spread with the king of kings. Christians are not at the beck and call of earthly pleasures because our eyes are set on that future day. And again, the contrast with this in verse 25 is clear. Woe to you who are fool now for you shall be hungry. For those who seek to fill up all their appetites here and now, they too will be on the outside looking in when Jesus feasts with his redeemed people. Christian, I think the application for these first few verses in this first point that Jesus' followers are needy, not self-sufficient, I think the application is pretty clear, right? For those of you who follow Jesus, Do you know how much you need him? Does neediness and dependency characterize your life? Do your weaknesses cause you to run to Christ in confession and need, not run away from him in shame and pride? Charles Spurgeon once said simply, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Christian, if you never come to grips with your need, you'll never come to grips with your Christ. Fight the temptation to self-sufficiency. Fight the temptation to self-satisfaction. Fight the temptation to self-contentedness. Find your sufficiency, find your ultimate satisfaction, your ultimate contentment, always and only in Christ and in Him alone. I wonder, if you were to listen to my prayers this past week, or if I was to listen in on yours, put a little bug on the wall and and hear what you said, would your prayers, would my prayers sound like we need the Lord? Or would they make it sound like God is the needy one? He just just needs us to come to prayer as kind of a ritual so he can find joy and happiness. He's always demanding that we pray and seek him. You know, I was thinking about self-sufficiency. And I was thinking, how 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 does self-sufficiency manifest itself in our lives? I wonder what self-sufficiency might look like in your life. In mind. And perhaps self-sufficiency crops up when you find yourself slow to ask for help, slow to receive aid from others. Perhaps self-sufficiency shows itself when you find it impossible to confess your sin and weakness because you just need to, to, to keep up the facade that you have it all together. Perhaps self-sufficiency is evidence when you work yourself to the bone and, and burn the candle on both ends to make sure you can sustain your lifestyle and the comforts you and your family have become accustomed to. Friend, don't build your life on your own sufficient power and wealth. It's not only wrong to do that, it's stupid, it's foolish. That's the point of the parable we'll study in the weeks to come in Luke chapter 12. There, Jesus is sharing a parable, something he often does to make a point, and I'm so glad he does that, because stories really work for human beings. We really resonate with them. And this one has struck me so many times. There in Luke 12, Jesus says this. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, "Ah, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a scary story, isn't it? And it's not the riches or the savings or the strategy that makes this man foolish. It's his self-sufficient heart that gets back on his lazy boy and proudly says, Relax, eat, drink, soul. You have made your future very secure. You are very smart. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. Christian, we are those who are needy, not self-sufficient. We will continually, till the day we die, lean hard on Jesus alone for all we need. For he alone can satisfy us. You know, many of us acutely feel our need right now, more than normal. There's nothing like a global pandemic uh, to make us feel very powerless and weak. So when you're confronted with that weakness, Christian, when you see your weakness, in stark technicolor. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't be ashamed by it. Use it to run to Jesus with your need. He doesn't need you. You need him. He doesn't need your contribution. He doesn't need your expertise. You need him. As the old hymn called, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, says, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness Jesus requires is for you to feel your need of him. So, needy Christian, you're qualified. For Jesus, run to him. As the hymn says, he will embrace you in his arms. Jesus' followers are needy, not self-sufficient. Second and final point. Jesus' followers rejoice in persecution, not popularity. Jesus' followers rejoice in persecution, not popularity. Look with me there at the second part of verse 21. Jesus says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then scoot down to the the end of verse 25, the kind of corresponding verse. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Yikes, right? I mean, that sounds pretty harsh. But let's, let's be careful about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not speaking of laughter, in the mere sense of joy and humor. The laughter is a big part of why he's created us. And there in verse 25, the laughter, as one scholar puts it, is meant to, meant to communicate laughter that is boastful, self-satisfied, condescending, or rejoicing in the harm that others experience. That laughter is the laughter of pride and self-worship that laughter should never characterize the follower of Christ. No, instead, we weep. We weep for the brokenness of our world. We weep for the sorrows of God's people. But we don't weep without hope. We know eternal laughter is coming. Of course, this side of heaven, in Christ, we have many joys, but we also find ourselves burdened by the sorrows we experience. That's why our eyes are, are fixed, are, are supposed to be fixed on the glories yet to come. And that is the mindset that must propel us forward as we suffer, particularly when we suffer for following Christ. Up there at verse 22. Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. So Jesus says his followers will experience God's blessing as they suffer for his sake. But this isn't just any suffering. This isn't suffering for being obnoxious. This isn't being excluded for being a know-it-all. This is hatred and exclusion and slander because you follow Jesus. It's this kind of persecution that Jesus says will bring blessing. And not just blessing, but, but joy. There in verse 23, Jesus doesn't just say, when this happens, try to get through it. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Well, What on earth could make us not only endure, but actually even rejoice in suffering for the sake of Christ? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. It's about future reward. Oh, church, we must fix our eyes on the reward to come if we're ever to weather the storms of the here and now. Even Jesus did this. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Christian, we rejoice in our persecution because we see in it our union with Christ, a union with his sufferings, but a union that will not end in suffering, but will go on into glory forevermore. Here in Luke 6, one of the disciples, no doubt hearing and listening in on this sermon, would have been Peter. We met Peter more in depth a few weeks back. As we look ahead to Peter's life, we'll see him learn this lesson firsthand, won't we? So in part two of Luke's writing, the book of Acts, chapter five, you can turn there with me, actually, if you have your Bibles, just two chapters, or two books ahead, in the book of Acts, chapter five, we read how Peter and the apostles are brought before the high priest and, and the council for preaching Christ. And if you look with me there in verse 40 of Acts chapter 5, there at the end, we read, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so the, you know, Peter and the apostles are let out. And how do they leave? What's their, their exit look like? Do they leave sheepishly or fearfully or embarrassed Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Peter would go on to share in one of his letters to the church, 1 Peter, you can flip there with me as well if you'd like, 1 Peter chapter 4. I included this in your devotional guides that I emailed out. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. This is Peter again, writing to the church and saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you, this sounds like Jesus, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter was a good listener to sermons, and he had learned the, the lesson, the truth of Jesus' sermon well. Dear Church Loudon Valley Baptist, it may be that within some of our lifetimes it will become a lot harder to live for Jesus in the United States. It may be for others of us that we are not called to stay stateside, but instead go somewhere else where the name of Jesus is not known and not well received. Perhaps that's you. It may be for some of us that our careers will be affected in the months and years to come because we will not cast aside the name of Christ. When that day comes, Christian, expect suffering. but believe it or not, expect along with that suffering, great joy. Even now, when you find yourself excluded or looked down upon for following Jesus, expect Joy. Do you believe that's possible? Do you believe that's realistic? Jesus says it is. I wonder, have you experienced that? Finally there in verse 26, we see the related negative statement. Jesus says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, if we follow Christ, we must value his name above our own. We must value the praise of his glory over our own because we can't have both. And it just doesn't mean that we just forsake all ways to try to get a good reputation. In other places in scripture, we see that building a good reputation with outsiders is not a bad thing. But what Jesus means is, is that we can't expect to be well spoken of at all times by all people popular with the business leaders or coworkers, or family members we rub shoulders with. We cannot expect to be popular with them all because we follow Jesus. For those who live for the praise of man, they will not experience the blessing of God. As one writer puts it, the favor of man will have to suffice, for such a person will never know the favor of God. It's sobering, isn't it? Dear church, we we should not go looking for persecution. However, we must go looking for opportunities to speak of Christ. And as we do that, we must not be surprised when fiery trials arise. But how kind of God to assure us in those trials of an eternal reward that will never, ever be snatched away. And a very real and present peace and joy that will buoy us in our pain. As the song that I included in the devotional guide puts it: When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near to fire a faith worth more than gold. And there his faithfulness is told. In church. As we wrap up these beatitudes and woes from Jesus and look forward to the rest of the sermon in the weeks to come, don't don't you see Jesus in this passage? I know he's preaching it, but don't you see him embodied in the beatitudes of this passage? Jesus is giving his disciples instruction on how to live, but what has Jesus come to do? He has come to die so they can live. He has come to take our poverty so we might become rich. He has come to take our hunger so we might become forever satisfied. Jesus has come to take our weeping, even tears that look like he's weeping tears of blood, in the Garden of Gethsemane, so we might laugh. If you're tuning in and and you're not a Christian, We just are grateful that you're here, but we want you to know that Jesus came not just to preach these kinds of words, not just to preach exhortations about how to live, but to lay down his life for his disciples, for those who would follow after him. Jesus came to live a perfect life of perfect obedience to God, the life we were all meant to live but haven't. And then he died on the cross under God's just judgment so that we might be saved, blessed by God with an eternal reward that could never, ever, ever be earned by us, but must be given to us. On the cross, Jesus was judged so we would be set free. Oh friend, turn to Jesus. Confess your sin and believe in the work he did on the cross on your behalf and you will be saved. And dear church family, Christian brothers and sisters who we love and long for, where, where might you acutely sense your need for Christ right now? Are you anxious about the future? Anxious about your health? Your income? You need Christ. Christ. Are you cold and calloused in your faith, finding yourself drifting away to other delights to fill you up instead of the satisfaction that can only come through Christ? You need Him to call you back. Do you find yourself discouraged and and lacking a desire to carry on in your present hardship? You need Christ. Church, whatever your weakness is, whatever your need is right now, don't run from it, but see it as a grace towards you. To encourage you, lean on Christ. Because those who follow Christ, those who would be blessed by God, are needy, not self-sufficient. So lay down your pride. It will never satisfy you. And come running once again to the one who has borne your sin and set you free. Come to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize and confess our great need for you. And we pray that in that need, you would bless us. You would bless us with a greater vision of the satisfying joys to come in your presence forevermore. That you would bless us with a greater vision of the satisfying joys we have even in the already, in the here and now, that just pique our hunger for the glories to come. And Lord, in the meantime, as we struggle and suffer, as we're poor and hungry, as we weep, Lord, use that to humble us and give us great joy in following you. Make us bold to speak of your name even when it's unpopular. Show us our needs so we might delight the light even more. And the Savior who meets and exceeds all of those needs forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, that's all for now. Uh, tonight, we will not have our normal Zoom prayer meeting. Instead, we will have a members meeting. Uh, we usually have members meetings four times a year in each season. This is our spring members meeting tonight at 7.30 p.m. So if you're a member of the church, you should have received a Zoom link to that. And I hope that you will tune in as we just as we vote on a deacon, as we bring in a new member, uh, as we see other members out and just Uh, share encouragements about the life of our church. Uh, But for now, uh, let's finish by singing the doxology together as I lead. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Miss you all. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon.